The Free For All Roundtable. Round two. On round two, we say good morning to Bob Richardson, News Talk 1010 contributor, senior counsel at National Public Relations. Michelle Morrow is a music teacher. Deb Hutton, former advisor to two Ontario premiers. Good morning to you all. And you know what? Let's start with something a little bit on the lighter side. I'm getting a little weary about relitigating the Middle Eastern conflict, but we will get to aspects of that and reverberations around the world. But Ontario is about to make it mandatory for salaries to be disclosed in job postings. And Bob Richardson, I'll start with you on this one. I know that you can learn a bit about a salary window by going to Glassdoors, the employment site, but I also suspect sometimes that those numbers are all over the map. Actually knowing what other people make, is that gonna change the landscape? Uh, I think it's helpful. I think it's a piece of information that people could use. Uh, I think this is a great initiative by the province and by the by the Ford government. Uh, I'm glad they're doing it. Uh, anything that helps people uh, 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 and provides them information as they're looking for uh, employment, I think, is good thing. So. Kudos to them. Get on with it. Michelle Morrow, there's always been, and I, maybe because I was raised in a very waspy environment, but there's always been this sort of taboo of anybody knowing how much you make. So people don't talk about salary, and it's probably why some people are underpaid. Oh, my gosh. Yes, I completely agree. I kind of grew up the same way. And it's really frustrating when you want to talk about, um, I know for myself now, I want to talk about money with my kids. And I'm very hesitant because I'm, I'm, I want to make it as open as possible, but I'm not quite sure how to go about it. So I think at this point, uh, having knowing what you're applying for and knowing what you could get would just make your life easier. I don't, I don't see any benefit for keeping things cloistered like that, except for the companies. And it's hard to apply for a job, and everyone says you need to, you need to bargain for what you want. But if you don't know what the parameters are, you don't want to walk in there and go way above. But you also don't want to go in and lowball yourself because then that's probably all they'll pay you. Yeah, Deb Hutton, I know about one workplace where they unionized, and suddenly everybody found out what the other people were making, and. And uh, they were absolutely stunned at the disparity. So, listen, I don't feel super strongly one way or another about this. I just, as a general principle, don't like additional government intervention. So that's what I consider this <laughs> as. Um, I also think the devil's in the detail on this sort of thing. So so let's say it's that you're posting a range and it's 65 to 85,000. Who's going to take 65 if the range is 85? So I, I, I also think... I've been in a position where hiring a candidate who I actually decided to hire and go above the range I had in my head because it was such an ideal candidate and didn't want a loser. So, again, it depends on what the details look like, but this is not a, a, a utopia for higher wages in any way. Although one thing worth noting, I'm guessing, Deb Hutton, that because you worked for the government that your salary was publicly disclosed back in the day. Yeah, for sure. And there are legitimate ranges for different levels within government. And so doing something like that within a company, I like. This notion, though, that that you have to post before somebody comes into a job, as I said, I, I think there are some challenges with it that could lead to uh, inflation in wages. Okay, this could turn into a pointy-headed economics discussion, but I'm into those. Uh, companies are apparently a lot more willing to raise prices these days, which is fueling inflation. And Michelle Morrow, as we learned from Jim Stanford, the economist, when he was with us a little while ago, this is all about the fact that companies have realized, hey, we could raise the price on this. People keep buying it. We'll make more money and we'll pretend it's inflation. Yep, 100%. I couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> I look at like prices in the grocery store and... 
I'm sure there's a there was there's always been a level where they're like, this is what we feel we can charge without uh, alienating our base customers and having them go somewhere else. But there has been um, outsider forces which have allowed prices to rage because of um, uh, supply chain and that sort of thing. But now that these prices are what they are and people are still needing to buy things like groceries. I honestly can't see prices going down that much in the next five years because why would they when they can charge this much and they know people are going to pay for them? Well, and Deb Hutton, we were told, for example, the input cost of fuel and fertilizer and stuff like that was fueling the inflation in the food industry. And then the price of fuel went down and nothing changed. Yeah, and that's why for me, competition is king. Because if there is real competition in any industry, food being the best one, grocery stores here in Canada, where there is not true competition, then someone will break the mold and bring prices down. And that's how you actually get lower costs. And that's how customers go with one company over another. For me, the government on the food side, on the grocery side, needs to make sure that we're not continuing to... um, cannibalize the existing competition through their competitions bureau. Because if you have 10 grocery stores, 10 brands, you're going to go to the one that's cheapest. If you've got two or three, as the case is in Canada, it's pretty easy to keep prices artificially high. Yeah, Bob Richardson, one of the people quoted in the coverage we're looking at this morning, talks about the fact that, yes, it's a nice idea that everybody's going to check the pamphlets and compare prices and shop around, but most of us are kind of busy. Yeah, 100% we're busy. I, I think that part of this problem is governments walked away from consumer protection about two decades ago, and I, uh, both the federal government and the provincial government. We used to have ministers who were responsible uh, on the consumer file. We really don't anymore. Uh, and our, our parliamentary committees, in comparison to congressional committees, are pretty toothless. So I think I think consumer protection is a big issue. I think it's a political winner. I think uh, I I think uh, we have concentrated banks, telcos, food, airlines, and we need to have a proper watchdogs over it. And we need to have proper rules in place. And and frankly, we don't. Let's stick with uh, economics for $200, Alex. Uh, Apparently, according to a survey, companies are looking at retailers, are looking at about 11% reduction in spending for this Christmas. Deb, let me ask you, do you actually create a budget for Christmas? If somebody asks me how much I'm going to spend, it's like, I don't know, I haven't started shopping yet. Oh, God, no, I'm terrible. Absolutely terrible. Um, Although, coincidentally, I ordered my very first Christmas gift online this morning. So I guess technically I've... Is it for me? It is not. It is not. Um, And my challenge, of course, is that by Christmas, I'll have forgotten, uh, A, that I bought it and B, where it is. And that's often what happens to me. So I end up, especially for my girls, um, I end up with more than I ever intended. And it's like, oh, damn, yeah, I bought that a month ago. So no, I should, I should develop a budget. The only thing I try to do is keep it even for both girls. That's about as far as I go. It is funny you mentioned that scenario, though, because I've been there. It's like February and I go, oh, right. I, I had socked this present away for Christmas and here it is. Uh, Bob Richardson. I mean, none of us are exactly up against the wall financially. So maybe this is a silly discussion, but generally Canadians saying they're going to spend 11% less this year. Well, I was going to say, speak for yourself, but no. Uh, <laughs> look, uh, look, it's a, it's. A, I think, I think people are going to be cautious this year, and they are going to uh, take take a good look. So, I think our uh, consumer spending expectations uh, have got to be uh, uh, got to be. Uh, 
kept in kept in mind, uh, and I I think it is a, a proper to, to uh, put together a budget at, at this period of time. And with all those mortgages uh, that are up for renewal and everything else, there is no way we're going to have a huge increase in uh, in uh, Christmas spending this year. And I think we just have to buckle down, expect that, and get on with it. And Michelle, I'm probably mischaracterizing this data because it's you know 11 percent of the aggregate spending. It's not that each of us are going to spend 11 percent less. Some people are just going to rock on. Yeah, it's Christmas is one of those hard things. I'm with Deb. Like I, I, I don't have a budget per se, but I try to keep an eye on what I'm spending. But I do the same thing. If I purchase early, I sometimes forget that I bought it. And then I end up buying more. And on Christmas morning, I am always like, wow, we bought a lot of stuff. So I, I always endeavor to try to spend less and plan out more. And maybe this year, because things are a little bit tighter and things are a little bit more expensive, um, I will do that. But I, um, I can't guarantee it because I love giving presents. That sounds so cheesy, but I really do love watching my kids open presents on Christmas Day. Sure. Rosie DeMano writing in the Toronto Star about the protest or rally that <laughs> happened on Saturday. The headline, Empathy for Occupied Palestinians or Brazen Hatred for Israel. And Michelle Morrow, I'd say you can go into any protest and find a core of haters, but how much does that define the protest? I don't know. Yeah, there's always going to be people on the fringes or what we what we used to consider the fringes to who would counter protest against something. Um, I feel like it's getting um, a lot a lot thinner line between them, between people who are protesting to support and people who are coming out protesting to hate people. And this conflict in Gaza has really brought out. it's brought out a, a well of support for people. I've learned more about the area than I ever knew, and I feel very uninformed that I didn't know it was happening before. So I, I, I'm glad that information has come to the forefront. But then it's also brought out a lot of people who are blaming entire ethnicities for one problem or another. And it's really hard to see, and it's really hard to deal with. Yeah, Bob Richardson, I mean, everybody's got an agenda. It seems that there are very much anti-Semites who are amongst the protesters. But at the same time, there's a pretty uh, hearty effort Effort to try to delegitimize any criticism of Israel. Uh, yeah, look, this is a very, uh, very uh, tough uh, situation in uh, in the media. Me- I, I think everybody uh, uh, understands that. But I-, I happen to sit on the board of War Child Canada, a good organization that does work uh, uh, with uh, kids who are living in conflict zones. We got a hundred million people right now across the world who are a refugees, uh, and we, we've got conflicts going on everywhere. We have conflicts going on in six different areas. You never hear a peep about them um, that, that what War Child's uh, ha- helping out in. You never hear a peep about them. But on, on, on this conflict, it's front and center every day. Geez, what is the one variable that makes this conflict different than the others? Oh, that would be because one of the participants in the in this conflict is Jewish, uh, <clears throat> uh, on the Israeli side. I think that's a huge part of it here. I think there is anti-Semitism, and it's something that we really, really have to keep an eye on and make sure it doesn't get out of hand. Well, and Deb Hutton, last word on this file. It certainly is beyond unsettling to see people affixing stickers to the windows of Jewish businesses. 
Oh, and and ripping down posters for um, hostages that are children, calling for boycotts of businesses for one reason and one reason only. They are owned by someone who is Jewish. Listen, this I am sure there are people in the protest for whom there are family in the conflict in, in Palestine, in Gaza, and that that is strictly a humanitarian effort. But make no mistake, I believe that most of these rallies are anti-Semitic. Certainly that is the overtone of them, and it's wrong. And the difference with this conflict, uh, you know, and I agree 100% with what Bob said, is, is not only that they're Jewish, but that the other side is a terrorist organization, period. And so for me, this is pretty black and white. Okay, and Michelle, uh, you've got a couple of little ones. As a matter of fact, uh, I was reposting on the weekend a picture of me raising Brock into the air from like seven ah! years ago. And I thought, oh, oh my goodness, yeah. I'll bet He's I couldn't do that now. Um, <laughs> what do you make of this story about a nail reportedly found in a chocolate bar? I find it somewhat dubious. Oh my gosh, I do as well. I do not. I feel like these are old wives' tale. I I don't know who would go through the effort to put things in candy and then give it to kids without seeing what happened to it. That sounds very morbid, but I feel like people, uh, if you're going to hurt someone, you want to see it happen, right? And so to put things in a candy and then give it away and just imagine what it's like when that person opens it, that's one of the reasons why I don't think these stories are real. This person may have found a nail in their candy, and if they are injured, then I'm really sorry. That's an awful thing to happen. But I really don't think it's as widespread as people think it is. I don't think anyone on the topic of drugs is going to pay for drugs and then put it in candy and give it to kids and waste their money. I really don't see that happening. I feel like this just riles people up and it gives more reason for people to say, my kids aren't going to trick or treat because it's not safe. Whereas I think it's very safe and it's such a fun thing for kids to do. Thank you all. Great yak. Bob Richardson, Michelle Morrow and Deb Hutton. It's time for the news. Catch the roundtable, round one at 745, round two at 845. Weekday mornings on more in the morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.